Ben gave me the liberty to preach whatever I wanted to preach, and uh, I started to go ahead and extend out the uh, relationship series that he'd been doing. I, I had a series, I had a sermon I was going to do called How to Stay Married and Not Kill Each Other. Wouldn't that be a, a good one? And then I thought about doing one on grandparenting. How many of you are enjoying grandparenting? How many of you enjoying grandparenting? And uh, I'm really having a good time with grandparenting. Um, I had the other night, I, was, I, I had the, uh, three of them over, and I was keeping them that night and uh, by myself. And uh, so we were playing hide-and-go-seek. How many know if you play hide-and-go-seek long enough that you can stay, you know, get about 20 minutes, and then you go find them? But I had my three-year-old, uh, my three-year-old granddaughter, Emmy, uh, she said, uh, she and I were just playing at one point, and, and I said, she wanted to go hide. I started counting. When I got to five counting, she ran back in, and she grabbed me, and she said, come, come help me find a place to hide. So I went, <laughs> <laughs> it's really fun. Grandchildren are really fun. And then uh, Isaac, who is really good with numbers, uh, he one day, he said, how old are you, Grandpa? He said, are you a little bit, are you a little bit young? I said, yeah, I'm a little bit young. And he said, how old are you? I said, well, this, I get six, I turned 65 this year. And he thought about that a while, and then he looked at me and said, did you start at one? I said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I thought about doing one on grandkids because I really enjoy, uh, I really, I really enjoyed being a parent and I really enjoyed uh, being a grandfather. You know, on, on grandparenting, my goal is to add value to their life more than anything else. I told them my house is a house of yay and amen. You know, the walls can be clean, carpets can be clean, uh, furniture can be clean, this can be rebuilt. How many know uh, Amazon and grandparents really go together well? I mean, it really goes together well. Whatever we need, we get it then tomorrow. What do we need? We get it tomorrow. But I really prayed, and uh, I, I felt led to do something much, much more serious. Uh, at this stage in my life, I've been doing a lot of funerals, and uh, I've done numerous, numerous funerals. In fact, my first month of pastoring here back in 1978, um, we had three fathers take three of their, grand, their children, or their three sons, to Grand Isle to go uh, fishing, and uh, all three sons got caught in an undertow. And all three fathers jumped in to try and save their three sons. All three fathers and one son drowned. And uh, we didn't find, you know, the, the tide washed them out. And, and we, they were found, uh, you know, days and days apart. And I'll never forget that. That was one of the tougher times. And, but it, I'll never forget, I preached one of the dad's funerals. I preached. He had written a sermon for his hometown that he was praying that one day he would be able to go and preach it to that hometown. It was up north Louisiana somewhere. And it was, it was a hellfire, you know, uh, burn the barn down type sermon. And so the, the wife asked me if I would preach that sermon at the funeral. And it was kind of one of those that peeled the paint off the walls. And so I preached it. And uh, I remember it, it was at moments like that, that that big questions are asked. You know, uh, there, there are questions, lots of questions you can ask. We, I did a funeral uh, a year or two ago on a uh, couple whose uh, daughter, young daughter, 20-year-old daughter had died. And uh, I remember in the funeral, it came to my heart just to say, you know, there's so many questions. Why this? Why that? Unanswered questions that we didn't have an answer to. But I said, but the biggest question, the biggest question is answered. And that is, where is she for eternity? Where is she for the rest of her life? We may have missed, you know, 40 or 50 years here. We may have missed why this, why that. But the biggest question was, uh, was answered. And so we knew that she loved the Lord and, uh, I mean, really was outgoing. All. And so in the Bible, there was another man that was brought to a point where he was about to kill himself. And when you, you're at the point of death, uh, questions that may have seemed important then uh, or during your life all those questions become trivial, like where are we going to eat today? You know, it's a question. You got to answer it. But, you know, when you're about to die, that's not going to be a big, you're not going to be asking that question. But the biggest question is, and I love this because there was a man, he was a government official, and he's just about to die. And I want you to notice in Acts chapter 16, we're probably just going to have it up on the uh, small screen. We'll, oh, we got it went up there. It says, after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
This was the apostle Paul and Silas had been put in prison. And uh, the Bible says that they were beaten and they were put in stocks and bonds. That's Paul's prosperity message. By, by He was put in and he was in jail. And the Bible says that at midnight they began to uh, pray and sing hymns. They were not singing, Lord, what have I ever done? <laughs> they were singing hymns to the Lord. And the Bible says all the prisoners were listening to them. And I always believe this because it says an earthquake happened. I believe that was God starting to sing along with them in the bass baritone. And the Bible says an earthquake hit the prison. All the doors were open and all the chains fell off everybody's hands. And everybody was free and nobody moved. Yeah, I don't know about you, but the Bible says nobody moved. But the, but the, the warden uh, didn't know that. And in that day, if you lost a prisoner, it was a life for a life. You were put to death. That's how the, the Roman uh, law was. And so this, Roman, this the jailer looks and he sees all the prison doors open. And he assumes uh, immediately, which on a normal circumstance, all of them would have scattered. One time on a Thanksgiving feast, we were running the bus downtown to pick up the homeless. And we were doing a Thanksgiving feast here. And so I was running the bus on one, one of the legs. I was running the bus. And I remember I picked up a whole group of them. And I'm coming back up. And all of a sudden, uh, I didn't have a chauffeur's license. I thought, Lord, if they, I'm going to ask forgiveness for this. But I didn't want to go pick them up. Nobody else could do it. So I was down there. And I thought, oh, you know, if they stop me. And so I announced in the back, I said, listen, if we get pulled over, I'm going to open the door. I want all of you to take off and run in all directions. <laughs> and one of them said, oh, we're good at that. We're real good at that. I said, <laughs> I said okay. And uh, I don't know why I said that. I don't know why I went on that story. I was going somewhere. So the prison, so they think that, you know, they think, you know, this, this jailer thinks they, those prisoners have run out everywhere. They're just gone. And he takes a sword and he's about to fall on his sword. He's about, you know, enter. And the Bible says, Paul says, stop, stop. We're all here. Nobody's left. And he brings them out. He looks at them. And then he asks, at that point in his life, he asked probably one of the most important questions you can ever ask. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And I don't know if you've ever asked that question about it with your own life. Have you ever really asked, what do I have to do to really be saved? Because this life, as short as it is, 65 years of my life, I blinked and, gee, it seems like yesterday I was up here, you know, uh, you know 40 some years ago starting. And yet you blink and, and life just speeds by. And there comes points, and I've done many, 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 many funerals, that many people are brought to a place where it's a time to ask important questions. This is one of the most important questions you'll ever ask. What must I do to be saved? And so I want to ask you that. Second, Paul wrote it in 2 Corinthians 13. He put it this way. He says, test yourselves. And I want to ask you, when's the last time that you tested yourself? When is the last time you tested yourself? Because the Bible gives commands, and sometimes we just read over them like speed bumps, and we just go on and never do it. The Bible says, test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. So he says, test yourselves, examine yourself. How do we really know that we're saved? And I want to talk to you a little bit about two different sides of this. I want to talk to you first about uh, the evidence there is biblical evidence that you can see whether or not you are saved or not. It's not something you have to wonder about all your life until the very end. Say, oh, I hope, 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 I hope. You can know for a fact whether or not. But there's evidence, things that do not prove that you're saved. Let me give you a few things that people trust in thinking that proves that they're saved. And this is evidence, not what produces salvation, but just that something has happened in you that you have received salvation. And uh, I want to give you a, some false evidence to start with. Number one is the knowledge of the Bible. Did you know there's a lot of demon-possessed people know the Bible in, in and out? When the devil took Jesus on the, on the temple, uh, pinnacle of the temple and told him, jump, he quoted the Old Testament. He said, because the Bible says that if you jump, that God will give his angels charge over you and hold you up so that you do not, you know, bruise your heel against or foot against anything. The devil knew the Bible. So just because someone knows the Bible, that's not evidence that something's happened in their life. A lot of, lot of secular scholars. 
Answered prayer is not evidence that you know the Lord. Answered prayer is not evidence something's happening. The Bible says one time Jesus went to the demonic at Gadaria, and he, he starts talking to the demons in this man, and he says, how many are you? He says, we're legion because we're so many. And uh, the Bible says Jesus was commanding them to go out of the country, and they begged the Lord. They said, Lord, don't command us to go out of the country. Let us go into the pigs. And the Bible says Jesus answered their prayer. How many believe those demons were saved? They weren't saved. That was answered prayer is not evidence that something's happened in you, eternal life. Easy believism is not evidence of salvation. I believe in James, the book of James says that even the demons believe and tremble. Get that through your brain. They believe to the point where they tremble, James says. Even the demons believe and tremble. This, there's no doubt in their belief. There's no unbelief in their belief. They know it. They believe it. They believe Jesus is who he said he was. And they tremble because of that. So just believism, believing that Jesus is who he said he was, is not, is not an evidence of salvation. You need to know that. Number four is... Some special feeling on my heart. It just, I just know my heart just tells me that I'm a Christian. Jeremiah 17 says, the heart is wicked above all things else. It's deceitful. Who can trust it? The fifth thing is, being as good as everybody else. I'm just as good as that preacher I know down yonder. I'm just as good as anybody else goes to church. I'm just as good. You know, the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Another thing is, a, a, a Christian mom or dad, I had a guy witnessing who said, well, my mom goes to church. I said, well, what, what, what does that have to do with, you know, tea and chai? My mom and my daddy's a Christian, has nothing to do. Um, the gift ministry. Did you know that a person can operate in a gift ministry and not be the evidence that they are a Christian. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. King Saul prophesied, did all these kind of things, and was going to the witch at Endor, on and on. Speaking in tongues is not any evidence that you have experienced, a born-again experience. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a little bit later. Eight. Being blessed financially. Man, I'm just, I mean, I'm just looking. I mean, just look how, I mean, God is just really blessing me financially. I know I, listen, the Bible says God makes it rain on the just and the unjust. No evidence that something's happened. No evidence that you've experienced the, the, the gift of salvation. It has nothing to do. A church letter is not evidence that you're going to heaven. Oh, I got over on so and so. I got a church letter. I got it in my. No evidence that you're going to heaven. My good outweighs my bad. It's no evidence. Think it through it this way. Think if somebody murdered uh, whoever you love the most. I don't know who you love the most. Think, think if somebody murdered whoever you love the most and you went to the trial. And at the trial, the judge is, is speaking to the defendant. And did you do this? Yes, sir, I'm sorry I did do it. But look at all the good stuff I've done in my life. What kind of judge do you think it would be that would say, well, look there, your good outweighs that one bad thing you did? Doesn't work that way. In fact, it, it, to tell you the truth, in the end of time, all of your good stuff... Like a scale, if you want to use the scale, there is a scale, but here's how it works. All of your good stuff and all of your bad stuff go on one side. Did you hear me? All of your good stuff and all of your bad stuff. The Bible says our, our, our good stuff is like filthy rags before the Lord. All of your good stuff and all of your bad stuff go on the same side of the scale. Only the cross, <laughs> come on, only the, only, well, we'll get that at the end, only the Christ. So one thing is certain, though, the masses are destined for a Christless eternity. What do you mean by that? Look at, look, look, look at Luke 13, listen to what Jesus said. Someone said to him, Lord, 
Are there just a few who are being saved? They wanted to know this same question. Lord, are there only a few being saved? And he said to them, strive. This word strive means to agonize. It means to battle. It means to fight. It means to, it means like if you've ever been through agony in your life, it means to agonize. I, I would, they put me through a machine a while back, and, and they simulated a heart attack in me. They gave me this stuff. You know, they put this stuff in me. I was down in New Orleans, the only place they have in the South, this machine. And they simulate a heart attack, and I had to stay still for 15 minutes. I don't know if you've ever had a, you know, and they put on uh, Chip and Gaines and, and, you know, the, the, uh, with a TV screen. And I'm sitting there, and I'm sweating bullets, and I'm having a heart attack, and I have to, you know, I, I don't know if you ever agonize. I mean, you agonize. And this word means to agonize, agonize, to enter through the narrow door. And the word narrow means like a straitjacket. It's so tight. It's so narrow. It's so little. He says, agonize to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. See, that's not modern theology. That's Jesus' theology. He said, listen, agonize, go after it, narrow state. Many, many will try, but few will be able. Nothing is so precious as your eternal state. Nothing is so precious as your position in Christ. I know 1 John 5 and 13 Listen to this very carefully. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I don't know. Nobody can really know for sure. Oh, really? You may know that you have eternal life. You can know. The Bible says test yourselves, examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. And John writes and says, these things were written that you might know that you have eternal life. Amos chapter 7. Uh, he writes. And God is speaking to Israel. <coughs> excuse me. And he tells him. Then he showed me. And behold. The Lord was standing by a vertical wall. With a plumb line in his hand. A plumb line is what a, the ancient equivalent of a. a um, what do I want to say? A, a, a level. It's an ancient equivalent of a level. To see if, it, see if that thing is straight or it's crooked. And I don't know if you've ever done anything. Let me take a drink here. If you thought something was straight until you put a level up next to it. And then you found out it's crooked. One of the first sermons Peter ever preached on the, after the day of Pentecost was, he said, you crooked and perverse generation. How many think we live in a crooked generation today? It's not, and so God comes and he says, listen, he says, he dropped a plumb line, and the Lord said, what do you see, Amos? And I said, a plumb line. The Lord said, behold, I'm about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people, and I will spare them. God said, I'm done with the foolishness. He said, I'm dropping a plumb line, and everybody that's crooked, everybody that's perverse, it'll be shown to them. And I'm going to tell you, the, the, the plumb line God uses is the word of the living God. Because once you get away from the word of God, then it's every man will do right in his own eyes. And everything will happen. And so we, God's word is a standard. You know, one of the hardest things we deal with is tradition. Because sometimes they replace the word of God with tradition. And I like what Jesus said in Matthew 15. He says, then some of the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said... Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? Honor your father, your mother, and who speaks evil of your father is to be put to death. That was the word of God. But tradition and modernism began to say, But you say, whoever says to his father, mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. It is not, he is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this you invalidated the word of God for your tradition. And so modernism, things when he began to say, you know what? There's a new way, a new thing, and whatever it may be. And the Bible says, Jesus came back and said, you invalidate the word of God according to your traditions. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So Jesus came, and in verse 6, again, he says, Do you invalidate the word of God? But I like what 1 John 5 said. Go back to this. It says, These things, 
in the word of have I written to you to believe, Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Look at somebody and say, you can know. Just say, that hey, you can know. Hey, you can know. So let me give you the Bible evidence. This is not what produces salvation. This is what is just evidence that something's happened in your life. This thing I'm about to give you, that, this is not what makes you a Christian or, or, make, or, or produces salvation. It's just evidence that you have received salvation. You get that very clear? That's not a minor semantic point. This is very important. This is not what produces salvation. This is just evidence that something's happened on the inside of you. This is just evidence that you have received the gift of eternal life. Let me just give you some Bible evidence. Number one is this, keeping his commandments. Obedience is better than sacrifice. 1 John 2 says it this way, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. By this we know, we know, we're not doubting, we're not maybe, you know, luckily. By this we know that we have come to know him when we keep his commandments. So by this we know, we're not doubting, we're not maybe, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. This we know that I know him because we keep his commandments. 1 John 3 says it this way. Says uh, uh, 1 John 3. There we go. No, 1 John. 1 John 3. There we go. He who indulges in a sinful life are dangerously lawless. For sin is a major disruption of God's order. Surely you know that Christ showed up in order to get rid of sin. Do I have that in the New American Standard? Let me put that in New American Standard. That should be in the New American Standard. Can you swap that over? The Bible says this. By this we know that we have come to know him. That one should be in the New American Standard. Let's see how quick they are back there. We, because uh, I really, I need to do this in the New American Standard, not in the Message Bible. <coughs> no telling what I, I wrote to them. Whoever, everyone who practices sin is, pract- is also practicing lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he has appeared in order to take away sin, and he made there no sin. Keep going. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or known him. Verse 7. Can we go keep going? Little children, make sure no one deceives you. Now, get this. If John was here this morning, he would stand up and tell you, don't let anybody deceive you. I don't care what, what they got after their name. I don't care what platform they're on. I don't care uh, what. Let no little children, make sure nobody deceives you. And here's what he says. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. He said, let nobody deceive you. Who practices righteousness is righteous as he is, and just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared to this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. So he comes, he says, let nobody deceive you. <clears throat> he that practices righteousness is righteous. And he that practices unrighteousness is unrighteous. I don't care what they say, what they try to pretend. Let, let nobody, listen, here, what kind of deception is that? Well, it, that if you've made any kind of decision anywhere in your life, it really doesn't matter what you're doing in your life because you made a once-for-all decision. John said, don't let anybody deceive you. If you're doing unrighteousness, you're unrighteous. If you're doing righteousness, you're right. If you know the Bible knowledge, if you're, if, if you're on the church roll, if you come to church. Hey, one of our leaders right here on the front row, Kev, uh, Ke- Carrie Stevens. Carrie, how many years did you come before you gave your life to the Lord? Do you remember? Ten, Ten years. Carrie, I don't know if he sat on the front row back then or not, but uh, he wasn't on the front row back then. But Carrie came to church 10 years. He came here. Till one day, my father-in-law, Samuel, was here and gave a salvation message. And Carrie gave his life. 10 years! He said in this, you think he knew a little bit about the Bible in 10 years, son? You think he could have thought in his brain, I go to church. Man, I go to church like everybody else go to church. We're all good. 
Yeah. The word used must be in, listen, the word that's most used for the unsaved is this one word, deceived. Deceived. How, how horrible would it be to all your life think you're a Christian and then stand before God one day and him to say, I never knew you. The, look at 1 Corinthians 6, he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Anybody that does unrighteousness, John said, is unrighteous. So they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be what? Paul, if he was here, he would say, don't let modernism get you somewhere where you think it's different now. He said, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And do not be deceived. And that's what he says. Do not be deceived. And he lists some unrighteousness. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, just in case we went through that too fast. Let me define each one of those for you. Start off. No, uh, no fornicators. Go, go ahead with it. For, here's what fornicators are. Voluntary sexual intercourse between an unmarried woman and an unmarried man. If you're doing that, you don't go to heaven. All right, watch this. Idolaters. A person who worships any object. I'm not even going to start. All right. Any object. Of ardent or excessive devotion or admiration will not go to heaven. Next one. Adulterers. Voluntary sexual intercourse between a married man and a woman not his wife. Or between a married woman and a man not her husband. I don't care who told you what. If you're doing that, you're not going to heaven. Effeminate. Now let me just say this. This is applying to men, not to women. I did this one time, and a woman said, I'm sorry, I'm a feminist. I said, you're a woman, you're supposed to be. Effeminate, having the qualities generally attributed to women, unmanly. Next one. Homosexuals, of or are characterized by sexual desires for those of the same sex as oneself. Next one. Thieves, the act or instant of stealing. Next one. Covetous, to want ardently, long for with envy. Drunkards, a person who often gets drunk. Revilers, one who uses abusive or contemptuous language in speaking to or about, calling bad names. Swindlers, one who gets money or property from another under false pretense, cheats or defrauds. Now, all these are listed here. And the Bible says... I don't, care, I don't care who told you what. Do not be deceived. I don't care what argument is given. I don't care if they throw colors on the White House and somehow that, you know, sponges everything. Listen, do not be deceived. Those who practice unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul lists them there. I don't care who told you. If you think you if you think differently, you are deceived, Paul says. Titus 1 says it this way. It says, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. Verse 16. They profess to know God. Now watch this. But by their deeds... They deny him. I love God. Yeah, I love God. Yeah, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Yeah, but I love God. They profess to know God, but by their deeds, they deny him. Being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. So the Bible says you can be deceived. Matthew 7. Excuse me. <clears throat> Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. 
For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Not everyone, watch this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does what? The will of my Father. Keeping his commandments. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. So we begin to understand this. There have verse 23. No, I don't have 23. Yeah. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. <clears throat> Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So the Bible says this. Lord, Lord, another scripture, I didn't read it all, but it says, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we perform miracles? And he said, listen, I never knew you. I don't know about you, but, but some of these scriptures scare me. I mean, I've, done, I've been a pastor and done it 40 some years. Some of these scriptures scare me. It brings me to a place where it says, oh, I want to know for sure. I want to know that I have eternal life. I don't want to waste my life and then come to the end and then for eternity have been fooled. So the first one is it says, it says test yourselves, examine yourselves. Are you obeying the word of God? Are you obeying the Lord? Are you obeying his commandments? Number two, let me give you a simple one here. This is just evidence that something's happened in you. It's not, that, it's not what has produced it. It's just evidence that something has happened on the inside of you. Next thing is this, 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 this very simple, just basic consistency in your walk. Basic consistency just in your walk. I love it. Look at John 8. 8. Uh, look at John 8. And, I, and he spoke the, uh, these words, many, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then he said to those Jewish who had believed in him, well, it's a done deal over you believed in me it's good it's finished once saved always you know once saved it's over it's nothing else to worry about it's it's a done deal many believed in him and he said to them go back to verse uh, 30 just so you and he spoke these words many and as he spoke these words many believed in him and this is what he said to them then Jesus then said Jesus, those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. He wouldn't buy into easy believism. Jesus, I mean, they believed him. He was preaching and they said, we believe you're the Messiah. We believe you are who you said you are. And then he looks at him and says, easy believism doesn't cut it. If you continue... If you continue, then are you my disciples. If you continue, let's see some consistency. Look at Revelation 3, 3, 15. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. Now, I want you to get this because God, has, God admires two things. He admires somebody that's all, all out for him. And he admires somebody that's all against him. More than somebody that's for him sometimes and not for him other times. The way, you get, the way you get lukewarm water is you take a little bit of hot and a little bit of cold, right? And you mix them together. And that's what was wrong with this city. This city they lived in was known for lukewarm when you, when you studied out. That city was known for lukewarm water. They just had a problem with lukewarm water. And, and it was a big problem in the city. And, and Jesus said, listen, I don't, I don't, I'm not looking for people that run hot and cold. I'm not looking for people. He said, listen, I would that you were either hot or cold. Because if you're lukewarm sometimes, you think sometimes that literally you're okay because you're hot sometimes. And I know I do this, but then I'm hot for Jesus. And he says, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. The next scripture, verse 16. No, I didn't have it. Okay. Lukewarm. And so I want you to do this. God demands, listen, God demands <clears throat> that we be red hot for him. He demands that we be red hot for him. Not lukewarm, not, you know what, lukewarm. Be hot, the Bible says. Anything less is lukewarm. And then the third one this morning, before we close, is you need a hunger for God. 
<clears throat> the third evidence that something's happened is when you've got a hunger for God to know him, that I might know him. Matthew 5 and verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It has to do with hunger. How, do I, how can I know if something's happened on the inside? I'm just, I just want to know God. I want to know about him. I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to walk, this, I want to walk with him. I want to know him. I don't want to know about him. I want to know him. I want to have a person. I don't want to, that day when I stand before him. He says, I never, I never knew you. I want to know him. And so the Bible speaks. It says, says do that. Evidence of salvation, a hunger for, for God, a hunger for his word. I love thirst, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 again. He said this, test yourselves. Examine yourselves. Test yourselves. Examine yourselves. Be honest this morning. And so those are just a few of the evidences that, that something's happened in your life. But let me close with this this morning. How does that something happen in your life, though? It's not by, listen, believe this or not, this may shock you, but there is nothing you can work or do that will produce that something in your life. All those things we talked about is evidence of, of that something has happened. It'll be, it'll be the fruit of what's happening, but it can never, good works can never produce that in your life. In fact, uh, there's nothing you can do to be saved. The, those are the evidences. I like what Titus said in, in Titus 3. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy and hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God, listen, when the kindness of God, it, it didn't come for anything we did. God didn't look down and say, well, look what a good people down yonder in, in South Louisiana. I think I'll come down and do something for them. He says, we were, all, we were all at the bottom of the sea. We'd gone down. We were, we were helpless, hopeless. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we had done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. But according, by the washing of the re regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. Nothing, nothing we did. It was the kindness of God. It was the mercy of God. The Bible says, by grace you've been saved. And that by faith, and that's not of yourselves. God gave it to you. And so there comes that point where literally we're saved, that which happens in you, and then that evidence, all those things we talked about, is just evidence of what's happened in you. Those things never produce. You can't be good enough. No, nobody, nobody can work their way to heaven. Something happens in you by the goodness and the mercy and the grace and the kindness of our God when it appeared on earth. And Paul, listen how Paul ex explained how to be saved. He was preached, he talked about his gospel, how he does it. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you. Here's the gospel. Here's the gospel that Paul preached, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which also you are saved. Here's how you it's how this is how it happens. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, first importance. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul says, here's my gospel. Here's how you got saved. Here's how that happened in your life. Jesus Christ appeared, the goodness and the kindness of God. And he took all of our sins upon himself. He that knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And he said he took all of our sins upon himself. And he said, because you believed in the Lord Jesus. Now that's the key. Because watch, watch Acts 16. Watch, watch Paul's response. Go back to 30, verse 30, if you would. If you came back, yeah. And after this, he brought this. Here he is in, there in jail. The earthquake happens. All chains are removed. Nobody's moving. The jailer is about to fall on his own sword. Paul, don't harm yourself. He comes out, the, the, he, they washes him, and then the jailer, because he's brought to a point of absolutely, he's brought to the point of his life where he's going to ask the most important question of his, he's probably ever asked in his life. What must I do 
to be saved? What must I do to, to secure my eternal life? What, what must I do? What must I do to be saved? And look what Paul answers. Verse 31. They answered, Paul and Silas, start going to church. Didn't say that. Stop your cussing. Didn't say that. All those things are going to be evidence. It's going to be the product. It's going to be what produces those things. But that's not how you get saved. It's not, that's not how the miracle of regeneration happens in your life. That's not how all your son's sins are taken away from you, that somehow you become gooder than good and, and you outweigh your... No, 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 no. If that were true, there would be no reason for Jesus to come. If you could just be gooder and gooder and gooder and da-da-da, there was no reason for Jesus to come. Jesus came and for 30 years he walked a sinless life because he had to be the lamb without spot or blemish. I told you this before, all through the Old Testament, every Jew, every Jew, every, had to, when they sinned, they had to bring a lamb before the Lord. And, and the Bible says they had to pick a lamb without spot and a, a lamb without blemish. A lamb without spot and a lamb without blemish. And the Bible says when they're bringing that lamb, they're not thinking about are they good enough. All they're thinking about is my lamb perfect. Is my lamb without spot? Is my lamb good enough? Is my lamb going to take my place? And the Bible says for 30 some years Jesus walked the face of this earth and he never sinned one time. And he stood at the end of his life and he says, who condemneth me of sin? The evil one cometh and hath nothing in me. He was the perfect lamb. The Bible says he kept himself because of the great love that he had for his father and the great love he had for you and I. And when he came to that place, when he laid his life down on Calvary's cross, God took all of our sins, all of the stuff that we've got, and he put it over on Jesus. And the Bible says that he took it like the lambs of the Old Testament, and he took away all of our sins on his elf. See, the Bible says God so loved the world, not just the church. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Believe this or not, there was one time you were an ornery world, and God saved you. But listen, we're not even any more better than all the rest of them because every one of those a potential brother or sister in Christ every person out there I don't care what they're into what they're doing whatever every person out there and the Bible says listen he says they answered and said believe in the Lord Jesus give yourself listen here's how the Amplified Bible says because here's the here's here's the key because he did not say believe about the Lord Jesus Christ even the devils believe about the Lord and they tremble he didn't, those that believed in him that day, he said, many of them believed about him and believed what he said. He said, but if you continue. And here's the amplified version of this. And they answered and said, believe, everybody say the word in. Yes. President Clinton would do well with this. In, in is, in, in means something. It doesn't say believe about, it doesn't believe, uh, you know. It says believe of, it says believe in. Here's what it said. Here's the Amplified. I love the way this reads. And they answered and said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Give yourself up to him. Take yourself out of your own keeping and entrust yourself into his keeping and you will be saved. And this applies both to you and to your household. Back in the 1860s, one of the greatest uh, daredevils there was was... Um, uh, Bloden. Uh, it was the great Bloden, B-L-O-D-I-N. And he was a trapeze artist, and he was in a circus, and he would do the trapeze. And da, da, da. One time they were near Niagara Falls. Uh, the, the, the circus had come there. And he decides, when he sees Niagara Falls, an idea comes in his brain, and he thinks, you know what, this would be, if I could put a rope across Niagara Falls and walk across Niagara Falls, hundred and, uh, I forgot how long it is. It's, I think it's 1,100 and some feet across Niagara Falls. And uh, so he does, and he gets some guide wires and all this and that. And then he begins, he was a great, he was as good a trapeze artist, he was also a great uh, promoter, and so he promoted it and, and all this and that, and, and thousands of people came out and paid a quarter. Back in 1860, a quarter was a lot of money. And uh, they all paid a quarter, and thousands came out to watch him die, which is basically what they did. They wanted to see him fall and die. And so he did this over a course of two or three days. And he would, the first time he went out, he acted like he was about to fall. And they were screaming and shouting and jeering at him. And he walked across, came back. And uh, 
he started doing this for days, and then he started doing adding things. He he took a uh, uh, he took a, a, a hot stove, a little in that day. He took a hot stove out in the middle of it and cooked him an omelet. Come on, somebody, and ate an omelet in the middle of this thing. You know why he's doing that? Um, he he did he did all kinds of things. He did blindfolded. He did it with this and that. And then one day he brought out a wheelbarrow and he took a wheelbarrow across and brought the wheelbarrow back. And and after three days they're all cheering him down. And he said, how many believe? Oh, we all believe, we all believe. And he said, well, who will get in the wheelbarrow? And so nobody volunteered to get in the wheelbarrow. What does it say here? It says, you must give yourself up to him, take yourself out of your own keeping, and entrust yourself into his keeping. He finally had to get his manager. The only person in there was his manager. He shamed his manager into getting in the wheelbarrow. And so he took him across, came back. And then he said, let me just, just throw away the wheelbarrow. He said, get on my back. And so the manager got on his back. He started walking. Well, he didn't realize how heavy the manager was. And he got about a fourth of the way across, and his strength began to wane. He'd done so much that day, he didn't count, and he began to, and, and he finally, he told his manager, get off. <laughs> he, said, what? What? he said, yeah, get off, get off of me. It made the manager get off. And the uh, manager's holding on to him, and the manager, he's not a tightrope walker. He's, he's out there over, they're over the Niagara Falls. And um, then he gets back on him. He said, he rested a while, and he says, okay, get back on me. And he's sweating, he didn't realize it, and he had slippery tights on, all this. And I mean, you can imagine what's going on. And so it looks like it's the end. And when they got near one of the, one of the guide wires on the side that held the rope, uh, somebody had cut it. And uh, undoubtedly, they had tried to sabotage him, and they were going to try to, and so... He, he barely makes it, and he, you got to see that. I mean, he, he makes it, and he struggles and struggles and struggles, and finally he gets to the other side, and uh, he had enough for a day. It was done. That manager, that manager wrote later, he said, I will never trust him again. I, I will never do this. But can I tell you that there is one who um, you can cast all your cares upon his shoulders. Because the Bible says he cares for you. Paul, Peter wrote that out and he put it out to humanity. Um, he said, listen, cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter who you are or what you're into or where you got out of bed this morning. or It, it doesn't matter. Jesus honestly loves you. He died for the world. He didn't die just for the good people. He died for all of us. And so this morning, I want you to close your eyes just for a minute. Would you do that with me? And maybe you're just one of those that go to church like Carrie did for years. And maybe just attend and you know all about Jesus. And you've got a lot of Bible knowledge. And maybe you, you know, you've been answered, had prayers answered. You've had all those things that seems like, seems like that would convince you that, that you're okay. But listen, examine yourself. Do you keep his commandments? Do you, listen, do you have a consistency where you're not running hot and cold, that you really do love him. Doesn't mean you don't have a struggle. Doesn't mean that you may be battling through some things. But, but listen, you never just give in to it and say, well, you know, that's just the way I am. You know, that's just, you know, it's just part of me. And that's the way it's going to always, always be. No, no, no. You know it. You say, okay, God, every time it happens, I confess it. I, Lord, I bring it to the Lord. I say, Lord, forgive me. Well, that's, that's a normal the Bible says if we don't have, if we acknowledge we don't have sin, then we, we call him a liar, but, and, and you're, you're fighting it. But, but the other part is when you've just given in and you just, yeah, that's the way you live. You know, you're from Monday to, you know, Friday or Saturday, you just, you party away. Some of you may come in, you got a hangover today. You may have a headache this morning from, you know, da-da-da. You may have been partying too much, and, and you didn't think anything about it, and it doesn't bother you. And you, listen, this morning, the Lord wants you to know for sure. He wrote these things that you might know that you have eternal life. He wrote these things that you might know that you're going to make heaven, that you have agonized and you've gotten through the narrow gate and you're going to be one of the few. That's a scary scripture for me. Lord, how many are going to be saved? Are few, only a few? And Jesus said, the truth is, many's going to try to enter in and not make it. Many are going to try to go through it but not make it. And so he says this morning, listen, may, it may be you. You may be here and you say, you know what? I think I've been playing the game. I think I have been deceived because I really thought it was okay to do these things. And, you know, 
majority of my life, I'm pretty good. Pretty. So maybe that's you this morning, and you are, I don't need to go any further. Maybe you know, you know, there's something pounding on my heart. There's something telling me I need to get right with you. I need to get right with God. I want everybody's eyes closed. I don't want anybody looking around for anybody, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to do anything. All I'm going to do, I'm going to pray with you, and I'm going to believe, listen, God brought you to a moment like this where you're going to ask the most important question in your life, am I saved? What do I need to do if I'm not? What must I do to be saved? Believe in, cast yourself upon, receive, and listen. And then that gives you the strength. That gives you the ability. That gives you the want to, to do those things we talked about. You can't just be a goody two-shoes and try to keep command. No, 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 no. That's, that's, that's not what you're going to start doing. What I'm asking right now is I want all of your sins to be taken from you and put on the Lamb of God. I want all of your sins to be taken from you right now and put up the cross and that Jesus will bear all of your sins and then he will come into your life and, and there will be a night and day change on the inside of you that will give you the want to to obey his commandments. Give you the want to to live consistently. To give you the want to. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. You're going to battle. There's some things you're going to battle through. But the desire is there and the change is there. So close your eyes this morning, would you? Bow your heads. And if you want Jesus to take all of your sin away, would you just lift your hand? Just do that real quickly. God bless you. 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 I, don't, I didn't count them all. And some of you maybe that didn't raise your, you didn't even raise your hand, but you want him to do that this morning. You want the change to occur. I'm going to pray. And I want everybody to pray. And I want you to pray boldly with me this morning, would you? Say, dear God, I want to change. I want all my sins to be taken away from me. I want to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to give my life. I want to trust my well-being to him. So Jesus, forgive me of all I've done wrong. Would you take all of my sin? Would you take it all away? Would you wash me clean? Would you forgive me by what you did on the cross? I believe that you died in my place and that you were buried, but that on the third day you rose from the dead. And I thank you for saving me right now. I know that I know that I am saved by the blood of the Lamb of God, by the kindness and mercy of my God, I accept it this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said a great amen. Give the Lord a great clap offer. Come on, let's all stand up today. Come on.